Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hawk, our hosts, Carl LeClaire, Jason Hunt, and Katie Horn, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 349, The Wampa and You. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and the I am the Luke Skywalker to my horse ghost of Ben and Yoda, because I'm by myself this week. Yeah, it's strange. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Carl is still on his uh, little break, and we wish him well. He's doing great, and he's excited to come back in the next uh, little bit here, but he's still on his podcasting break. Katie was going to be here tonight, but had some very exciting happenings uh, occur this week, and uh, was unable to make it due to scheduling conflicts but i won't i won't spill the beans on what happened for katie uh that's her that's her prerogative um she might be talking about it on her twitter i haven't seen but if not maybe we'll maybe we'll hear about it next week but i'm by myself today and well not technically by myself i've i've reached out to you Valerians, our listening audience here, and I have asked for any questions that you have, any theories that you have that you want, uh, questions that you want answered, theories that you want discussed, uh, and and I figure, well, well, what, why don't why don't we have a little bit of fun with this today, and and see what we can do. Uh, this is going to be you and me on the in the Wampa's lair today. So uh, before we we jump into all of your questions. Um, we did have a poll that we've been trying, or not a poll, a matchup that we've been trying to <laughs> have happen um, for the last several weeks, and 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 we've we've finally, finally got it up and posted and everything. Uh, I think there is still time to respond on Facebook to the poll. I, I didn't realize that I left it up for a week rather than just the one day I was trying to get it up for, uh, but. Uh, these are the numbers as follow from our our Twitter and Facebook polls for our matchup. Uh, the matchup was a force duel between Darth Sidious and Mother Talzin. Um, this was one I thought would be a lot of fun, just because I would be really interested to see what a force duel between Darth Sidious and Mother Talzin would look like uh, outside of just the comics. So... We had quite a few responses, however, it was a bit one-sided, which I kind of expected, but I didn't expect it to be this one-sided. Uh, we have a Larian tally of 134 for Darth Sidious and 21 for Mother Talzin. That is, that is quite, quite the disparity. So, um, I will not be weighing in because I don't have the rest of my hosts to weigh in as well. So, that'll be our final tally for this matchup. 134 for Darth Sidious and 21 for Mother Talzin. Um, 
I'm not going to have a poll or matchup at the end of this episode because I want to get Carl and Katie involved uh, in, in, in coming up with the next one. Uh, and I don't really know where this episode is going to be, t- where we're going to take this episode yet. So I don't have anything topically appropriate because we're going to be all over the place. But uh, definitely, definitely come back next week and we'll have uh, a new poll or matchup for you. But until then, uh, let's let's go ahead and jump into some of your questions and, and theories here. I'm going to go ahead and start with our Facebook responses. Um, we have a response here. Uh, uh, let's see. A question here from Jeffrey Beaumont, who said, I just watched Empire Strikes Back with a live symphony orchestra. That's awesome. I got to see A New Hope that way, and it was amazing. So I can only imagine how Empire was. Question. Why did Rogue Squadron attack the AT-ATs low to the ground along their line of fire? Why not attack high? The side guns swivel up, but the main guns are fixed, and the neck of the cockpit does not flex up so easily. Uh, That's an interesting question, and I think it has more to do with um the the mechanics of the snowspeeder itself the snowspeeders are designed for low altitude combat they're not you know I, I know in some of the video games we can get pretty high and start swinging up and over uh you know walkers and and everything like that but the snowspeeders if i recall correctly are really designed for low atmospheric combat and they've they've been highly modified to just be able to function on hoth uh so i can only imagine that that might have caused some uh what's the word i'm looking for some cutbacks in power to other places perhaps i don't know just to keep the the engines from freezing up so maybe maybe they generally fly higher but because of the modifications had to be made to keep them running in the sub-zero temperatures of Hoth, their altitude ceiling dropped. That's what I can come up with, um, and, and I think the idea is also if they got too high, they might hit the shield, the energy shield that the rebel base had uh, over them over the top of the area. So maybe maybe if they went too high, they might hit that, and that wouldn't be good. So that's my thought on the situation. I'd be interested to see if anybody else had a better explanation. The Let's see here. Our next question is going to come from Rachel Elizabeth Lassina. <laughs> Why do I keep watching Rogue One when it keeps hurting me? Because it's a beautiful movie and there's amazing characters. That's why, Rachel, I would assume. Uh, she also asked a couple other questions. Um, she asked, will Cassian get to meet Jabba the Hutt in his series like Diego Luna wants him to? Mm, I don't know. I don't know what would bring Cassian to Tatooine. Maybe? If he makes a big enough deal out of it, they might be able to work it into like a season two or three, depending on how far the series goes. Um, but I'm 
not necessarily holding my breath because I don't know what would get Cassian to Tatooine. It's possible. You can't rule it out, but I'm not sure it's likely. And lastly, lastly, she asks, why do all the Skywalker men have great hair? I don't know. They, they must all have the same, uh, you know, uh, hair products or something. I don't know. Uh, I, I was going to say something Bantha-related, and it was just going to come out sounding gross, and I'm not going to do that. All right. Uh, Jared Rushing uh, wants us to talk about Grand Admiral Thrawn, who's his all-time favorite Star Wars character and heir to the, uh, uh, from the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Heir to the Empire is a fantastic trilogy. Um, it is, of course, now Legends, but if you haven't read it, it kind of serves as the foundation for everything Star Wars literature since. So... It's a it's a good series. You should definitely read it at some point if you have the chance. Uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea. You may not all love it the way that every, that some people do, but it's definitely worth your time if you are a star a fan of Star Wars literature because it serves as that foundation for where Star Wars literature went. Um, the the stuff prior to the Thrawn trilogy uh, was a bit hit and miss. There are some gems out there, but this really is what took it up to the next level and really brought it to be something that uh, is supposed to be a, a very, very much a continuation of the story. Not that the others weren't, but this really stepped it up a notch. And Grand Animal Thrawn is a uh, a great character. Um, not my favorite. But uh, I find him very interesting, uh, and especially with the new books that that. Um, oh my goodness! The author of the Thrawn trilogy, Tim Zahn. Wow, I don't know why that stayed in the back of my head for so long. Timothy Zahn. Uh, he's writing new books about Thrawn that take place in the new canon now. And I have listened to the audiobooks of the first two, and I think it's Thrawn Treason is the last one. I have not listened to that yet, but it's in my Audible library, so I'll be listening to it uh, soon. And I've enjoyed the other two. Um, I know they're not necessarily Carl's cup of tea because they get into some of the nitty-gritty of uh, political maneuvering and stuff like that, but I find some of that very entertaining. So uh, I, I've enjoyed them so far. Uh, Burdory MacArthur asks, how did Dooku keep such a dapper appearance during the Galactic Civil War? Um, <laughs> the funny thing is, is I have two responses here from other folks uh, to this question on the Facebook. Uh, the first is uh, because he's the Count, and the second was it's Christopher Lee. Next question. And I don't really have anything else to say because that explains everything, right? Right? <laughs> How did Dooku keep such a dapper appearance? Because he is a man of wealth and means, and he can afford to keep such a dapper appearance and has a probably a portable dry cleaning service that stays in, uh, you know, one of his uh, command ships and at his castle. So I would assume that that helps keep him looking all spick and span. 
uh, and he's the man who likes to appear well-dressed. Uh, Jessica Baker wants to know, what will Obi-Wan do in his series? He's supposed to be watching over Luke. That seems kind of boring TV. Any ideas? Well, I think, and I, I believe we discussed this a few episodes ago uh, in light of the announcement, I think it's going to be something along the lines of where something in in Tatooine uh, gangster stuff uh, threatens the well-being of the moisture farm or maybe the nearby area and Obi-Wan decides he needs to get involved in order to keep it safe uh, to keep Luke safe and things of that nature we might get some episodes where he's just you know exploring the desert and we might get sort of a like a um, an individual episode where he goes off and and, and learns from Qui-Gon or something I don't know but I think I think it will revolve around a threat to the moisture farm um, or a threat to innocent people nearby because that might then spill over to Luke and his aunt and uncle. So I I don't know exactly what it could be at this point, but I'm guessing it involves, you know, shady, underhanded gangsters, uh, spice deals, and other illegal activity that threatens the well-being of those that Obi-Wan is out to protect. So that's my theory. We don't know anything. They haven't told us anything anything other than what we got at uh, D23 as far as I know, which is just the announcement that it's coming and they'll be filming next year. So... Uh, Gerhard Kruwagen, I hope I pronounced your last name correct, Gerhard. It's been a long time since I've had to read it out loud. Um, he asks, why do Jedi need lightsabers for battle? Um, they are a callback to, from what I understand and from what I gather from the mythology, and some of this might be extrapolation on my part. I don't know if this is uh, specifically canon but my extrapolation is that lightsaber are, is a modern equivalent to the initial ceremonial weapon that the first Jedi used. So it, it, it is, it's been updated a bit, uh, but it, it is definitely something that became associated with the Jedi in their early days, uh, some sort of a sword or, or vibro weapon or something like that. And and it just sort of uh, continued to advance in technology, and now it's a laser sword, which is just cool. I mean, why why wouldn't you have a laser sword? Uh, and it's supposed to be for defense uh, rather than attack. And especially in a day full of blasters, having a laser sword that requires you to get up close to attack, uh, but allows you to defend from long distance seems to fit along with the the philosophy and the mindset of the Jedi so it's a ceremonial piece it's a it's a uh, sort of a callback a a nod to the original weapon that they used but it is definitely a ceremonial and it is definitely something that follows along the lines of what a Jedi 
philosophy would be. And the construction of a lightsaber is key to the training of a Jedi. And so I think they, the, they do a lot of teaching and a lot of training with the Padawans as they build their lightsabers. And a lot of the foundation that they learn, the practical application of the philosophies that they're learning, really all comes through this lightsaber uh, construction. And so I think that's something that has become so key for them, and that's why they use lightsabers. Um, that and they're also instantly recognizable as Jedi at that point, so they don't need to carry, you know, badges or or wear a uniform. So. <laughs> But yeah, that that's my my interpretation of why Jedi need lightsabers. Um, be interested to see if anybody else had any other ideas or theories on that one. Our last question that we got on our Facebook page is from Christopher Sangnetta, uh, who asks, "Who is Rey a clone of? Luke, Leia, Anakin, Mara, or Padme?" get the feeling I think Christopher is being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here uh, but in all seriousness I don't think Ray is a clone um, if she is a clone that drastically changes a lot it changes so much of what her journey has meant and while it definitely would be an interesting twist, I don't think that's the way that J.J. Abrams, Kathleen Kennedy, and, and the Lucasfilm Story Group are wanting to go here. I think Ray is just Ray. Uh, I don't think she's really related to anybody at this point. I don't think she's a clone. But I, 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 don't, I don't see why she would be a clone. That's the thing, is this... Who is Ray clone of? I don't know. Why would she be a clone? I don't have a good answer to that. Why would she? Uh, why wouldn't she just be a person? So I, I I I know there are all sorts of theories out there and and harebrained ideas that go along with the sequel trilogy and and what who Ray could be or this that or the other thing. There's a whole bunch of things out there and everybody knows my extreme distaste for the Snoke's Plagueis theory, which is terrible. Terrible. Um, that's the only one I get visibly angry, like viscerally and physically angry with. That's the only one that just drives me nuts. And then I just sort of facepalm every time somebody says Jar Jar is a Sith because that's no, that's a dis a complete misunderstanding of what his character is supposed to be in the story. But as far as the Ray as a clone idea, the the theory, you know, it could make sense, but I think it's a stretch. And I don't think it serves the story in any way. Because if she... Let's just play devil's advocate for a second. If she is a clone of, say, Anakin or something like that, uh, what in the story warrants that? Why would we need a clone of Anakin here? Why is that... Why is that needed in this story? And wouldn't Luke sense something about it? Wouldn't he he sense something in Ray that reminds him of Anakin? 
I don't I don't see I don't see how that would make any sense with the story we've got so far. Because if you have a clone of Anakin who's coming back again to bring balance to the force or whatever, I mean sure you're in a sense having a do over from the prequel trilogy for Anakin in the sense of, of his fall, but then you're also completely undercutting the redemption that happened in the original trilogy. Because the story of Anakin is the story of a hero who fell from grace and then was redeemed through the faith of his son. And then if you have a clone of Anakin come back and get involved in the next big conflict, narratively and story-wise, that just sort of discounts everything that came before. Um, and I, I don't think it makes any any narrative sense with the sequel trilogy, with the reasoning behind anything that they're doing in the sequel trilogy, to have Rey be a clone of anyone. If she was a clone of Luke or Leia, they're already involved in the story. And I think Luke and Leia would be like, uh, what? Why are you my clone? And why are you here? You know, I'm pretty sure they would have a sense of it. So, uh, Mara, she's not canon anymore, at least right now. And Padme, no, no, she's not. I mean, can you make a clone Force-sensitive? from a non-Force-sensitive person, or at least not someone who has a strong enough connection to the Force to be a Jedi? I don't know. <laughs> but of any of those options, I think Anakin would be the most likely scenario, but I don't see it making any sense uh, for her to be a clone. So that's my thought on that. Uh, let's move on. First, let me take a drink of water because I'm talking all by myself today. Uh, give me one second. All right. Um, moving over to Twitter, we have uh, an interesting theory here from at Joe Pong 8. And um, he, he sent it to us in a few tweets, so let me read those all real quick. Uh, his theory is... Luke either found out or was led to believe his father was created by Darth Sidious, and the real reason he cut himself off from the Force and exiled himself is because of this discovery that his lineage was created for evil purposes. Would better explain his decision, and also explains why Luke recognized the threat Kylo represented and momentarily contemplated the idea of eliminating him, as well as his disdain and disillusionment about the, quote, mighty Skywalker blood. End quote. Um, that's an interesting theory. And while it's... And while we definitely have the <laughs> ability to do this, uh, I think... I think we might be attributing too much to Palpatine, to Darth Sidious. 
Darth Sidious, Palpatine, the Emperor, uh, the Sith Master of our story, who is coming back in The Rise of Skywalker, is definitely someone who orchestrated and played both the Republic and the Jedi like a fiddle in order to get what he wanted, to become Emperor, to take over and to shape the galaxy in the image he wanted it to be. However, I don't think he is instrumental directly in the creation of Anakin, the Chosen One. The only thing that we have on this, as far as my knowledge extends, and I'm not as fluent in the new canon as I am in the uh, the Legends uh, continuity. But, so, so I, I might miss something. And if I do, let me know, folks, because I want to know this information. The only knowledge that we have as far as what may have caused the Force to create Anakin as the Chosen One, as this virgence in the Force... Um, within Shmi Skywalker is from the Plagueis novel. And what the Plagueis novel says happened, and I believe we've talked about this on the show a few times, is that Darth Plagueis is experimenting with using the Force to bring people back from death. He kills them and then resurrects them using the Force. And he's he's basically torturing people to death and finding out how far he can push it, how many times he can do it with people, and how long they can be dead before he resurrects them. I think these are the kinds of experiments he's doing. If I remember correctly, it's been years since I've read the book. Um and and the force reacts poorly to that. It does not like Plagueis's manipulations and and uh, bizarre experiments at all. And so what it does is it creates Anakin to be that counterbalance, uh, and he becomes the chosen one. And when Palpatine and Plagueis figure out that Anakin is a virgin in the Force, was conceived by the Force, Plagueis is immediately intrigued and wants access to Anakin so he can experiment on him and figure out what's going on. He's also a bit freaked out. Because if the Force did this on its own, you know, in re- reaction to what he was doing, you know, then, then he's got to reevaluate things. But this is when Palpatine decides that, all right, this is my turn, and he kills Plagueis um, and becomes the master. That's how it plays out in the Plagueis novel. Um, I, I don't think that Palpatine had any any direct thing to do 
with the creation of Anakin. And I know there are theories out there that, that Palpatine is maybe indirectly Anakin's father because of things he did. And that's weird. That's weird stuff, and it gets into some weird territory. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think Palpatine is just simply someone who, in addition to being a very good mastermind and, and planner, he's extremely good at ad-libbing and at moving on his feet. So when new things come up, he's able to adjust and adapt expertly. Now, the question is, was Luke maybe misled into believing this? I don't think so, because Luke seems to have, in the OT, a very strong sense of his family. And if he was, you know, given this kind of misinformation, I don't think he would believe it. Now, what happened and why he cut himself off with the Force, from my understanding, uh, is that he watched his nephew, Ben, walk down the same path that Anakin did. And Luke is someone who was on the other side of that and got to see that that fall undone and the amount of, of trust that and, and responsibility that Luke feels is invested in him from Leia and from Han with their son is immense. So not only is this kid the strongest one in the, in his new Jedi Academy or whatever in the force, but He's also his nephew, and he believes and loves very strongly his sister and Han, who are entrusting the safety and well-being of their son with him. And so when Ben begins to fall, and Luke has that moment of weakness where he contemplates eliminating a threat in the force and Ben sees what happens it the culmination of Ben's then descent to the dark side his abandonment of the Jedi and the teachings of the Jedi his abandonment of Luke his abandonment of his mother Leia and his father Han that combined, all of that combined with in Luke, with the devastating fact and the devastating belief that he has completely betrayed the trust of the people that he loves the most, his sister and Han, by letting this happen and by contemplating murder on their son is what drives Luke into exile and to cut himself off from the force because Leia reaches out to him in the force. The in bloodline, they, they sort of reach out a few times just to sort of touch base. Um, not like full conversations, but sort of like, you know, keeping contact kind of a thing. Um, and 
and we saw her do it in The Empire Strikes Back. And Luke cannot bear not only his failure at at uh, letting Ben fall, but he cannot bear to face his sister after what he believes he did to her. And he cannot allow her to reach him because while he's probably pretty sure that she'll forgive him, he cannot forgive himself for what he did to what he believes he did to her. And so I think that more than anything is what happened. Um, it's an interesting theory, uh, Joe Pong 8, but I don't think... I don't think that's how it goes down, um, either factually or or through misinformation. So it, it's a very interesting theory. It could work, but I think... I don't think Luke would have been fooled by that if it was misinformation. And if it was truth, I mean, he's already redeemed Anakin. Um, so I don't think it would, I don't think it would have the impact on Luke that, that I think you believe. Um, but who knows? I could be wrong. All right, uh, moving right along, uh, at Lazy Porg uh, wants to know, okay, this is for all of you, but I'm pretty sure my girl Poe Hot Dameron will give me the most thorough answer. Uh, sorry, at, at Lazy Porg, um, Jeff, um, she's not here tonight. Uh, but uh, he says, in what capacity will Maul have in the rise of Skywalker? Oh, man. You know, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of flashback or force vision of him. I wouldn't be that surprised. I honestly think it could happen. Um, especially if if whatever spirit or, or, or entity that Palpatine is taking on is trying to uh, take over or influence Ben or Rey uh there could be some sort of vision involved that sort of traces the history um, of this lineage, the Sith lineage, so to speak, and and Maul could be featured. I honestly think he might be if we get something like that, um, and it wouldn't surprise me. But will we get that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I think I might want to hold that question again for the next time Katie is here, just because... I know she will have thoughts. Um, but that's my thoughts on it. So I will... I will... have that question saved so we can revisit it later. At 501 Denal uh, asks, So do you think Clone Wars ships will be used in the Rise of Skywalker? Not just talking Y-Wings. Uh, he's got a couple questions, so I'll answer that one first. I don't think so, because it's been 30 years since the end of the Galactic Civil War and Return of the Jedi, and that was 25 years before or, or after the Clone Wars. And so I think Clone Wars ships by this time have probably largely fallen apart, fallen into disrepair. If anything, maybe we'll get, you know, if anything that, if anything is still functional, 
at this point, it might be like a a Star Destroyer, but the Star Destroyers that they have in the Clone Wars are smaller than the ones that they use in in the Empire. So uh, those have probably all been phased out anyway. So, I mean, you can never say no, because they might. They might, but I don't think so. I think the Rebellion ships are going to be the oldest stuff, because at this point everything else has fallen into disrepair. Um, unfortunately. Uh, he also uh, asks, uh, do you think we will have an Avengers Endgame-like thing, uh, as in familiar faces and ships will pop up in the final battle? Uh, maybe even some book comic characters as Easter eggs. You know, uh, I, I don't... I don't know. It's possible, but I don't know how you would get all those things there. Um, and there's not a, a built-in explanation like there is in the Marvel Universe um, as, as to how you would get, you know, all these familiar faces and ships and things like that into an end battle uh, built into the Star Wars Universe. And especially after The Last Jedi when the resistance is the the core functioning part of the resistance is so decimated i don't think so i think i think instead of a grand battle which we might still get i think everything is going to really focus on a few key personal battles it's going to be a, a large scope to this movie um and i'm sure we'll get some sort of larger battle but I think primarily this all comes down to a few small key battles. Uh, whatever happens between Ray and Kylo and Palpatine, and then the other side that happens with Poe and Finn and the rest of the Resistance. So, which I don't think is going to be large scale. I don't think the Resistance is going to have a large scale presence in this movie. Uh, they seem to be really trying to find allies. So, at least that's my interpretation of what we're getting in the previews. So, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I think it's going to be a... You know, the, the macro problems in the galaxy will be solved by micro-solutions, if that makes sense. Um, Alright, next question on Twitter. At David underscore Nicely asks, uh, does everyone in the Resistance know Kylo is Leia's son? Is it just select? Uh, is it just a select few? How does that affect morale? Uh, I don't think the larger Resistance knows, because it's obviously it's a different name. Um, ben Skywalker, Kylo Ren. Mm, although, I don't know. I feel like there might be something out there that says definitively one way or the other, and I just haven't read it yet. So I, I, I want to preface my comments by saying that I think there's something out there that says one way or the other. I just am not aware of it. But from my understanding, just looking at the films, just the films... My understanding is that probably not many do. I think some of the leadership do, you know, 
Poe probably knows. Uh, Ray knows because uh, of the whole Han situation. Finn might, but I'm not sure. Um, and I would assume people like Admiral Akbar would have known and Holdo would have known. But I don't think the, the larger brunt of the resistance would know. It is probably just a select few uh, because of the morale issue. Um, if if the resistance and the Republic were to know that the son of Leia and Han is essentially helping to lead the First Order, uh, I think that would be a really crushing, crushing emotional blow. Um, and and so I think in order for the uh, effectiveness of the resistance to continue, I would think that's that's not information that is largely um, put put out there. So, but like I said, there might be something out there that tells me that tells otherwise, and I just haven't read it yet. So, uh, at Sartaj Govind Sin. Uh, wants to know, in what capacity will she Palpatine return in The Rise of Skywalker? Will it be a plot point that people are trying to reach, like Luke in The Force Awakens, or a substantive presence in the narrative? I think maybe a bit of both. I think he is going to be kind of the MacGuffin, uh, and because he is the MacGuffin, that makes him a presence in the narrative. Um, and presence in the fact that whatever he represents or or he personally uh, will be felt and thought of and talked a lot about but I don't think we'll see a lot of of that physical representation whatever that is uh, until towards the end uh, that's my guess so I think a bit of both I think he will be the MacGuffin he'll be a plot point but I think he will be a substantive, substantive presence in the fact that he will uh, take up a lot of mental, emotional time for our characters. Uh, at Snoochy Boots. <laughs> that amuses me. Uh, <laughs> wants to know... Uh, first, he says, first time, long time. Which, uh, for those of you who are wondering, what is that? First time emailer, tweeter, long time listener. Uh, if you guys could revive any dead character for the Rise of Skywalker to play a major role in the movie, who would it be? Uh, oof. I don't know. Major role role in the movie. Right now, my first response is Akbar in a minor role because I just want to see. Admiral Akbar again, um, or maybe you know Radis for a minor role. For a major role, though, I don't. I don't know what you know. The, the thing. The thing about you know resurrecting a character for a major role is what role does that mean? What role does that play? And especially when we kind of have you know a good story narrative um, with the characters we currently have and how they're going, it's difficult for me for me to place. A character in a major position without figuring out first what that position is, and so it's very difficult for me to, to make a major 
role in the movie. I think for minor role, I can definitely squeeze some more uh, dead characters in there. Uh, I don't know if Wedge is dead or not, but I would love to have Wedge Antilles show up in The Rise of Skywalker some way or another. I, I think that would just be amazing. But resurrecting a character? I'd like Akbar. Uh, I, I, it would be interesting if Holdo was resurrected. I do like the, the Holdo maneuver portion of that character. I think that's a really good, really good character point for her. But Akbar is definitely the easy go-to for me for this question. Um, but not in a major role, just a minor. Um, at Jedi Captain Britt wants to know, uh, what are your thoughts on the likelihood of Finn leading a stormtrooper rebellion, and would you like to see it? I don't think there's a li- large likelihood because the training and brainwashing of the First Order stormtroopers seems to be a a big. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A big obstacle towards that, and I think Finn is sort of an anomaly uh, in that because his programming or whatever it is didn't stick or there was something that sort of got in between the grooves, so to speak, and and set it off its rails. I think it would be interesting if he, if he led a Stormtrooper Rebellion. Um, I think that would be very interesting. But I just don't know if it's possible with the kind of training, uh, any large-scale Stormtrooper Rebellion. I don't think it's possible um, with with what we know of their training and the brainwashing that goes on with all of them. All right, our our last Twitter question is going to come from at I don't know if this is Dan Sunside or Dan's Onside. I'm not sure. But Dan uh, asks, do you think Anakin will have a part in any potential demise of Sidious in Episode 9? And if he doesn't, what kind of effect would that have on the first six films? Ooh, um, I think the legacy of Anakin will definitely have a part in the uh, demise of Sidious in Episode 9 in The Rise of Skywalker. I don't think it, he will necessarily have anything concrete to do with it because it's not his story anymore and the torch has been passed. The torch has already been passed from Anakin to Luke and now it's being passed from Luke to Ray. And so the legacy of all of that, the legacy of the failure and then the eventual redemption of, of Anakin uh, and the rise to to a hero of uh, Luke uh, before his stumble uh, with with the loss of, of Ben and now the the rise and redemption possibly of the Jedi in Rey uh the legacy will definitely be pivotal in the demise of of Sidious. I don't think it'll be anything direct. Um if if he doesn't have an effect 
Uh, if, if he doesn't play a part, what kind of effect would that have on the first six films? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know much because because like I said, legacy legacy is the thing that's that's really traveling along the the story here in the sequel trilogy. There's not a lot of personal involvement from anybody outside of the sequel trilogy characters other than Luke, Leia, and Han. Um, and somehow, possibly Sidious. It, it, well, somehow Sidious. Um, Palpatine. I, I, don't, I don't know in what capacity yet other than the fact that the First Order is, was a sail, uh, a sail face. A fail safe <laughs> uh, plot of Palpatine's um, in case of his death. But anything direct isn't anything direct that's being done doesn't really have anything to do with any other previous trilogy characters except Han, Luke, and Leia. Um, and so I don't think it would have that much of an effect on the original six movies because Anakin's part in the story is over. His story went beyond just his own trilogy and it, and it went into the original trilogy and his part of this story is culminated in the physical destruction of the Emperor, the physical destruction of Palpatine, and the uh, foreseeable stopping of whatever plans he had uh, in place um, for continued domination and control under his rule. And that legacy lives on, and that legacy is being passed on uh, in Luke and now in Ray, but Anakin's direct involvement in the story, besides the legacy, is is done. Um, and so I don't think it will change much. I think what will be interesting to see is the fact that that legacy is being viewed from two sides right now, from what we can gather, the the positive side, the side of of the redemption in Luke and Ray, but then there's also the other side, the the Vader side that seems to be inspiring Kylo. Or at least motivating Kylo. So I don't know. I, I don't think it changes too much because because of, of where his story is but I do think definitely his legacy will be felt somewhere in this. Um, if that makes sense. Alright, last but not least, we've got an email with several questions here from our good buddy uh, Jim Capron. So, Jim, thank you for sending this in. Uh, it's got some very interesting questions all right. All of these questions kind of relate to um, relate to each other. So I'll I'll read the, the email question by question and answer 
each one as they come. Jana asks, uh, what are your thoughts on the potential of TV shows eventually becoming a larger percentage of total Star Wars content than films? They kind of already are, technically. Um, There's, you know, hundreds of hours of animated series and less than 20 hours of film. Um, But... Uh, he says, I certainly think both have a place in Star Wars, but given the recent announcements and trends in entertainment, I wonder if Star Wars will eventually become a franchise rooted in TV shows instead of films. I don't think so. Um, I don't... Uh, I think they'll definitely become a more prominent feature in the terms of the franchise, but I think the the top tier of Star Wars will always still be the films. Because they are designed to be movies, so much so that the TV shows and everything are are being filmed as if they are movies. Even the animated ones, it's all being done as if it's a movie, rather than just oh, here here's a TV show or here's an animated show. Do something silly, you know. Everything is everything is done as if it were on a cinematic level, um, and that is a big key and big factor in what Star Wars is. Uh, it's designed to be a blockbuster movie. And and just looking at the trailer and stuff that we got from, you know, the the Mandalorian, they're still following on that <sighs> excuse me. Following on that style and that way of doing things, even though it's being written for television. So, he continues. Uh, I know many say that TV shows allow for more time to develop characters and explain the story, and that's certainly true and well executed in many TV shows today, including Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance. Is there some value, though, in leaving some questions unanswered in a film because it can require more imagination and critical thinking on the viewer's end? Oh, definitely. Uh, There are pros and cons to both film and TV exploration of a franchise. Um, the, The problem you run into with television is that it can maybe get in the weeds too much and maybe over explain. But on the flip side, the the con of of movies is that you have to really be very judicious in what information you give because you have a very limited amount of time in order to give the information, execute anything that comes from that information in order for it to be resolved. The large things have to be resolved in a movie before the movie is done, unless it is specifically part of a trilogy or something like that. With a TV show, you can kind of leave big things unanswered for a while because things will continue to build towards it. Um, There are pros and cons to both formats. And I think having both now be part of the franchise moving forward is going to be very helpful. That we'll have to find a balance, though, because we, we know they're making more movies. There's additional trilogies and additional movies coming down the road. And we also know they're doing more more TV shows. So um, they just will have to be careful to find a balance. I think they've got a good idea of how they're going to do that. But we'll see what happens. 
Jim also says, also, do you think the time investment required for TV shows could push away more casual fans who might be interested interested in just seeing a Star Wars film at the theater for once a year? For example, I have friends who are fans of the films that I think would love Clone Wars, but I haven't had any success. Oh, I just missed uh, any success in convincing them it's worth their time to watch over 120 episodes of that show. Uh, maybe when you watch a TV show, it's definitely more of a commitment, um, which is why I think you're always going to have a balance between films and TV when it comes to Star Wars, because Star Wars started as a movie franchise, and that's what still draws all the big crowds. Um, I think you'll see a lot of people watching some of these uh, new live-action shows, uh, and that might get people to go back and check out some of the animated shows. But for whatever reason, when it comes to <coughs> when it comes to TV shows, there's a very big distinction between live-action and animation in terms of what people will make the time to watch, even if they like something. Uh, that the animated TV show is based on. But for whatever reason, there is still this this sort of hard disparity between animation and live action um, in that live action is more real or something uh, and and counts more somehow. Um, and so I think I think there will definitely still be, there will still have to be movies because that's the big budget draw for Star Wars. The the animated shows they're about to do for Disney Plus, or not that the the live action shows they're about to do for Disney Plus, are is new territory for them. They've done animated shows and those seem to work for what they need to, but the live action shows are are designed to be kind of tent poles for the new streaming service that Disney is putting out, the Disney Plus streaming service. And it's a big risk for Disney. Uh, yeah, it's Star Wars, but... And, and so there will be a lot of initial reaction and initial, you know, traffic for it. But after that, who knows? You know, for them, for the business side, it's a big risk. So it'll be interesting. Furthermore, Jim says, some say they aren't invested in, quote, prequel-related shows like Kenobi, Cassian, and Clone Wars because they ultimately know what happens. Do you feel the same way? Absolutely not. The journey is just as interesting as the destination, and even though I know where things end up, I like to know how they get there. Um, the email continues, I know I'm still super excited about the upcoming shows regardless, and one reason is because many people knew the outcome of Lord of the Rings films because the books were released uh, almost 50 years previously. But those films are still considered by many to be some of the greatest of all time. That is true. That is very true. I love the Lord of the Rings. I hadn't actually finished the books, but I started watching the movies. But um, the point is well made because the books had been out for five decades before the movies were even, you know, uh, produced. And, you know, but Star Wars is kind of different because it's not a, a an adaptation of a book. Um, but I think the, the prequel, quote, prequel-related shows 
um, are important because they do fill in some of the the gaps that we've had. And it's nice to see that they're still invested in those kinds of characters in Obi-Wan, in Cassian, and and in the Clone Wars. Um, So I think it's fine. Uh, Lastly, Jim says, uh, there's certainly something to be said about the appeal of being able to stream entertainment from the comfort of your own home. But is there also an excitement to the experience of seeing the films in the theater because they are quote, events in their own sort of way? Which do you prefer? I know it seems like I'm campaigning hard for the continuation of the film, so I really do love both the films and TV shows in this franchise and think both formats have their time and place given the variety of stories they're going to be told in the future. May the force of others be with you. Thank you, Jim. All right, so as far as the uh, streaming home entertainment versus theater viewing... Oh, I like both, to be honest. There, there, There is something to be said about going to the theater with a bunch of friends to see a movie and just that whole experience of seeing it on the big screen, having the popcorn and the soda or whatever, um, and just being able to soak it all in an environment with, you know, a couple hundred people enjoying the same thing you are is just amazing. And then, but then there's also the flip side, where you've got the home entertainment now that is kind of taking over because people like to be able to stream things from their phones or their computers while they're, you know, in the comfort of their own home uh, and and catch up on shows or, or see movies that they may have missed, you know, things like that. And it's cheaper. It's cheaper to pay for a streaming subscription once a month than seeing a movie once a month. Uh, you know, it, it, it's that's just part of the deal. Uh, and uh, I, I think the interesting thing that Disney Plus is doing with shows like The Mandalorian is that they're releasing the episodes weekly. Uh, sure, the previous episodes, I believe, will still be up there once they're posted, but they're releasing it weekly in order to make it more like, you know, event television. So we're kind of getting a a straddling the fence sort of approach here that I think will be interesting. And I think what they're hoping is that The Mandalorian, having it being released weekly, have it be sort of like much must-watch programming, um, is they're trying to make The Mandalorian have the kind of cultural discussion the way Game of Thrones did. Because after every week, Game of Thrones or or, or uh, Walking Dead or things like that, those big shows that millions of people watched, that was all the discussion was about the next day. On social media, it with at the water cooler at the office or whatever, that's what the discussion was. Did you see Game of Thrones? Did you see what happened? Oh, someone died or something. I don't know. Uh, I didn't watch the show. Um, <laughs> but I think they're really trying to aim for that kind of a response since they're you know, making it a, a weekly episode release rather than just have them all out to be binge-watched. So it's an interesting, an interesting dichotomy that I think sort of straddles the line a little bit with what they're doing. They're, they're trying to make must-watch television, which makes it an event in and of itself. Uh, but I do think that 
something that Star Wars always has will be able to have is that special theater event experience. So I hope that answers all of your questions, Jim. Uh, thank you so much to all of our Larians who sent in questions for me today on this the sort of last minute. Uh, oh, I got to do something by myself, or we're not going to have an episode um, thing that happened to me tonight. So uh, I appreciate you all filling in and giving me content to discuss with all of you. The questions and the theories were fun and interesting and exciting. So I really appreciate all of that. Um, and I hope I hope you all enjoyed this. This is this is new. This is new for me. Uh, doing a full episode by myself, just sort of talk, 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 talking for an hour or however long it is. Uh, let's see. Let's check the time on this. Oh yeah, it's been it's been about an hour. Dear Lord, a little over an hour. All right. Um, I think that's going to to wrap things up. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, there is no uh, poll or matchup. Uh, today, because I want to get Carl and or Katie involved in all of that. Uh, so we'll have a new one next week. What I believe next week we'll be discussing Katie's visit to Galaxy's Edge. So uh, I'm excited to hear all about it, get all the, the first-hand details from Katie. Um, I believe that's what we're doing next week. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, we'll see if Carl will be back next week. He may or may not. We're not sure. But uh, he will be back before the month is out, uh, is what I got from him. So uh, keep a lookout for, for Carl. And um, like I said, I believe next week we'll be talking about Katie's trip to Galaxy's Edge, which I'm super thrilled about. She'll be doing that this weekend, and I cannot wait. Um, with that being said, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at Wampa's Lair. You can fo- uh, like us on Facebook at Wampa's Lair Podcast at Gmail. That's our email address. Wampa's Lair Podcast at Gmail.com is where you can email us like Jim did today, or you can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Wampa's Lair. I think it's like, not follow. Anyway, whatever. I'm at the end of an episode. Oh, and please, please, please do follow Katie on Twitter at, at @pohotdamron. Send all of your mall and or Disney related, uh, you know, Disney Galaxy's Edge related questions her way. Uh, that would be fantastic. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. Uh, it's a solo episode for me, but not really because I did it with you. So thank you so much all of you Larians for, for contributing to this episode and, and keeping me company while I did a solo episode on my own sort of um, this has been episode number 349 of the Wampa Slayer podcast the Wampa and you for Carl and Katie who are always in our hearts I'm Jason and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa Slayer <laughs>